0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless.
1: Your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to talk to you this morning about quitting. Last week I climbed a mountain, Mount Elbert, the highest mountain of all Colorado's 14,000 foot mountains. this is the third time we've endeavored to climb a mountain. Pastor Seth and and uh, my son-in-law Chris and I. Well, actually, Pastor Seth just joined us this year. But um, this is the third time we've endeavored to climb a mountain. Did Mount Mitchell, the highest point uh, east of the Mississippi, a couple of years ago, and that was uh, six miles up and six miles down, and. We did that, and that was pretty rough, but we made it, and so uh, my son-in-law, who seems to be the driver of this, uh, said, let's do Pikes Peak. So we did Pikes Peak last year, which is 12 miles all uphill, and uh, so we had to do that. We left early in the morning and hiked all the way up, and that nearly killed me, Um, really, really. Took it out of me, and this year we were going to do Mount Elbert, and so we had a plan that if we slept at elevation, like ten thousand feet, that we would be able to cl- climb up to the top of the the mountain. I think it's fourteen thousand four hundred and thirty-four. I think it is feet, and um, so we figured we had the the connection on on on. Sleeping at elevation was gonna help us, you know. And besides, it's an easy hike, I told myself, I said out loud, it's an easy hike because in the past we've been doing 12 mile hikes, but this one, according to the internet, this one was only four and a half miles up and four and a half miles down. So it seemed like that should be easier. And so uh, I got to 13,400 feet, and uh, I couldn't go any further. Actually, I could have pushed my body a little further. But I had all kinds of uh, things going on inside of me that were working against my, my victory, working against me making the summit. I think we should give a hand to uh, Pastor Seth and to Chris, even though he's not here. Uh, is, he, is he back there? Is he in the nursery? Those guys made it all the way to the summit. But at 13,400 feet, I said, I'm done. I'm done. It haunts me. When I quit, it haunts me. And I can give you a dozen reasons, and I'm going to give you a dozen reasons why uh, I quit, and, and just because I think it's a kind of a metaphor for life. Uh, I hadn't slept really good before, for two nights actually, because when we were in the house at 10,000 feet, I was dizzy just getting into bed. And so, I, so just being, you know, we were in Chicago at zero, you know, and then we were, went to bed at 10,000 feet the next day, and I, just getting into bed, I was dizzy. In fact, I got out of bed to ask everyone else if they were dizzy because I wanted to know if I was dying. So, you know, I'm dizzy. Are you dizzy? Yeah, my son-in-law says, yeah, I'm dizzy. Chris says, I'm, I'm dizzy. And I'm like, okay, you're dizzy. That's good. You're younger than me. So uh, that was on the inside. And then I, did, I couldn't sleep for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, I did have a cup of coffee. It was kind of late. But I didn't sleep very good the next night either. So I was working on about six or seven hours of sleep for the whole weekend when we started the hike early that next morning in the dark. And, uh, and maybe that's, that was part of it. I, also, I've been having, since on vacation, I've been having numbness in my left arm, uh, particularly in my thumb, which up until the climb, I was saying, this is carpal tunnel. Because I would hold my hand in a specific way, and the numbness would go away, and I could feel the tingling leave up the nerve in my arm, and so I, I was like, this is carpal tunnel, I'm not going to worry about that, I'm just going to figure that out later on, and so that was going on in my head, too, uh, and, uh, but it was, it's bothersome, you know. I went to start the hike that morning in the dark, and I grabbed my walking poles, and one of them wouldn't lock in, and so I just dumped it in the thing and walked with one pole, which... That kind of threw me off too because it wasn't the way I'm used to, to climbing like that. I had a crushing headache at 13,400 feet. I had a headache that was sounded like a brass band was just pounding in, in my head. That's probably the elevation, and uh, I had uh, my right knee was bothering me. I had twisted it wrong. We were probably three and a half miles up on the trail when my right knee started bothering me, and I was. You know, you, when you're when you're doing an up and back hike, when you always tell yourself, "I have to come back this way." You know, and so and so I'm I'm old, and so I'm like, "I gotta walk down this." This is you know, so that's circulating through my mind. I had I had uh, I was having a dizziness, and so I was walking with this pack. I was carrying all my water and a bunch, of emergency kit and things like that on my back. And whenever I would go to sit down, I was kind of flopping down because I was I was getting dizzy, and the the, uh, the the whole and my mom the week before, my mom had said to my son, "When was the last time your dad was at the cardiologist?" And uh, my son said, ah, "Of course I don't know." And she said, "Well, he looks gray, like the kind of gray that you have when 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 you're gonna die." Don't, he, she said't don't tell, don't tell your mom, just tell your dad, and he needs to get into the into the cardiologist so he my son had confronted me the week before and he said, "Grandma thinks you're dying and and so and I was like that's ridiculous. I was probably just a little discolored because I had jet lag, we'd just come back from Italy and blah 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 you know I had all these things I kind of worked out, and all made sense to me until we started the climb. And, you know, for miles, in my mind, these things, these scenarios, every one of these scenarios, and there's a couple more. I could talk about jet lag and all that kind of stuff. But all all these other things uh, bothering me in the climb, what if I am dying? What if I what if I what if this is what if this is like the precursor this pain in my arm is the precursor of a heart attack and you know and what if you're an idiot you shouldn't you're too old and and sickly to be up on a mountain what if what if that's what if this is a really dumb idea uh the the guys were really nice they stopped for me you know they would stop, and it would take me, you know, five minutes to catch up to them, and I would get up there, and then they would let me b- take two breaths, and then they'd say, you ready to go? <laughs> and then very quickly, it, it lined out where it was, it was interesting, it lined out, I remember at one point, I looked up, and I thought, of course, this is the way it would be, the youngest in the front, the middle guy in the middle, and the old guy in the back, that's a... And I, and I was like, of course it would be this way. And, and of course it would be this way because I'm dying. I have a pain in my left arm. My right knee is bothering me for some reason, unbeknownst to. I have, and they're way up there. And I'm like, and, and in fact, uh, Pastor Seth took a shot of me. Oh, actually, it's a shot of the mountainside. There's a little gray dot of an old man who, who is looking at the trail. And I, and I, I, When you're that tired, you're just looking at the trail. That's that's all you see is the, it's like, Lord Jesus, help me. You know, a couple more steps. And and so I was going, and when I got to 13,400 feet, I was so thoroughly defeated by the scenarios that I was running. It's $5,000 to have a helicopter come pick you up on the side of the mountain. I don't got $5,000 for that. So at one point, I rallied my faith. These guys, we had sat and rested, and I said, hey, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn back. And they said, come on, Dad, just give it another push. I'm like, okay. You know, and they take off, you know. <laughs> they take off up the mountain, you know. It's uphill all the way. There's not a flat spot on that thing. And so, and, and I'm, I'm t- telling myself, you know, yeah, no, I, am I'm, I'm like it's better than I'm by myself. You know, it's better than I'm by myself because I'm just, it's just, it's about me and the mountain. It's just what well, I'm just pacing myself against the mountain that's before me. That's all I, all I need. so I, I pulled out my phone, turned on my Bible app, turned to Habakkuk chapter three, verse seventeen and eighteen, which says, "The sovereign Lord is my strength; He makes my feet like the deer." And he allows me to climb to the heights. What a great verse from Pastor Seth's devotion on Friday. It's the exact verse. And I I turn to the open side of the mountain. And I I yell this out at the mountain. The wind is howling in my face. And I yell this out. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And I went about 100 more yards. And then I said to myself, I'm going to climb this mountain if it kills me. Literally, I said that. I'll, I'm going to climb this mountain if it kills me. And then when I heard that come out of my mouth, I was like, I don't want to die on this mountain. <laughs> I got stuff to do, you know. I, and I, so I'm fighting this internal battle. No one knows this is going on. This is how it is, right? So, you know, if you're... If you're working out, you're fighting a disease, you're going through trials and tribulations, no one else, other people have gone through it, but nobody else knows what's going on in your, you know, you're the globe up here, the battlefield up here between your two ears. That stuff is being going on. You're going to die. This is, is this where you want to die? Really? This is where you want, to, you want to die? And this hill, this hill didn't even mean anything to you. and you, you, know, you didn't even look at this hill. Someone else told you, let's hike this mountain. You said, okay, whatever. You know, is this the, really the mountain you want to die? And so I was at 13,400 feet. I said, I think I need to stop. And I turned around. My breathing improved as soon as I went down 1,000 feet. And I I said, you guys, go ahead and do what you got to do. I'm going to walk all the way down there where the trees stop. And I'll be there laying down in the shade. You'll be able to see me because I will be the guy stretched out on the side of the mountain in the shade. Whatever the reasons for my turning back, the symphony of events that were going on in my mind, the ailments, the pains, the nagging seed thoughts that had been planted in my head about me dying, all those things, the battle in my head, outweighed the desire to continue on. And I quit. I turned back. I bailed out. The night before, I thought, my my. my this is funny, but the night before, I thought, you know, my luggage because I have climbing boots and everything is is a one pound over the airline's allowance anyway. And we looked around to find tchotchke little stuff to buy, bring back for the grandkids and stuff. And then, really, wasn't anything there, kind of just a mountain. So, uh, so I went online and I ordered a sweatshirt from the mountain and I had it sent to my house. At one point, I was climbing a mountain just so I could wear that stinking $30 sweatshirt. Because I know that sweatshirt's there. It's going to be the eternal reminder. Because of all my clothes that wear out, that one will not wear out. I'm guaranteed that. It will be a constant reminder of my failure. I have been... I'm no quitter. I'll be honest with you. It's a part of who I am that I'm stubborn as an old bull. So for me to turn back, it did something on the inside of me. I had all these thoughts about, well, there you go. Now you're the old guy, you're you know, whatever, you know, all those thoughts. Ego getting hammered. The devil saw me on the side of the hill. I got passed by a three-legged dog. I had forgotten that. Thanks for reminding me of that. You guys think you don't need to pray for me. Look at the encouragement I get. But at one point, I'm walking, and I was about ready to quit, and this three-legged dog. A three-legged dog was climbing the mountain with with his, his master. And I'm like, oh, if that three-legged dog can go, I can go. That was good for a little while, too. A little push me on a little bit. Got to catch up to that three-legged dog. I quit. I turned back. I bailed. Look down in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal Title of my message is This Ain't No Time to Quit. All around us, people are bailing on Jesus. All around us, people are giving up on their faith. All around us, people are calling it quits. This ain't no time to quit. The Apostle Paul recognizes the temptation to do that. He recognizes that we have a temptation to, to just our hands up in the air, or maybe even just to coast and to take it easy. No one will even know. Look around you, not a single soul knows if you prayed during prayer week this week, because that's between you and God. Not a single soul in this place knows whether you read your Bible this week or you just binge watched something on Netflix. It's all very personal. And when I got on the side of the mountain, I found out that that personal stuff that's going on in the inside of your heart, the things that are going on in your head are wearing at you and they're eating at you and you have to remind yourself at times, this ain't no time to quit. You have to tell yourself, this ain't no time. Yes, you want to quit. And yes, you want to throw your hand. Yes, you want to fall down and cry. Yes, you want to drop out of life altogether. Yes, you want to give up on it. But this isn't any time to quit. The Apostle Paul gives us three good reasons here to press on. Press on because we haven't yet arrived. Paul had just recounted his glorious background and all that he had, had gone through, all the things that he had done, all the things that he had, he had been through. Paul is a stud. The Apostle Paul is a stud. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, I have been in prison more frequently, I have been flogged more severely, I have been exposed to death again and again, five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and day in the open sea, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? This man said, press on. Press on. Whatever you got going on, whatever thing is holding you back, whatever pains and aches and, and uncertainty you have, whatever's going on in your life, you can give up or you can press on. You've got to push forward, you've got to press on through. Honesty and humility demand an honest assessment of our own self. I have not gotten there yet, I have not arrived. I have not fulfilled the destiny for which God has called me. Prideful living makes my own feelings and my own desires the center of of my life. Prideful living means that if I live by my own pride, then I'm always trying to soothe myself. And if I do that, I'll always be on the couch and I'll never climb the mountain. If I do that, I'll always be a person who lets somebody else do it. Instead of getting my hands dirty myself, I'll let somebody else serve, whether it's in the nursery or out in evangelism. I'll let somebody else uh, memorize the Scriptures. Somebody else can pray during prayer week. Somebody else can do it because I've got a hangnail. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. In my, I feel sad in my heart. It's all about me or it's all about Jesus, but it can't be all about both you and Jesus. And you have to take the assessment of your life. Is this the end of my life? You have to assess your life and say, have I achieved all that I could achieve? Honesty says, as the Apostle Paul says, honesty says, I have not gotten this all. This glorious man, this stud of an apostle says, I haven't arrived. I haven't either. I don't know about you. God is still at work in us. There's still work for Him to do through us. Your neighbor still needs to be saved. You've got to pray amen. Your family members still need to hear about Jesus one more time. There, there are a million things that have to happen in our life. I know somebody says, oh, well, just trust the Lord. Yeah, I am trusting. You see, we want to trust the Lord that God will bring somebody else to do our job. Right? I'm saying trust the Lord that God will put the energy and the strength on the inside of you so you can press on. We aren't there yet. We need to grow. Paul admits this. We need to recognize it in ourselves. Press on to the purpose. Press on to the purpose because Jesus Christ laid hold of us for some reason. I don't know why. Jesus grabbed hold of you. Trust me, I have asked myself, why? Why, Lord, would you choose them? Why, Lord, would you choose me, Lord? Why? I don't know why. But there's a purpose for which Jesus has laid hold of you, believer. There's a purpose. And your job, your, your glorious experience is to find out the The wonder of why He has a hold of you. And you cannot do that by quitting. You cannot do that by sitting down. I press on because Jesus has laid hold of me. I press on because there is better for me than I am currently in. You ever have that? You know, I'm 60-something years old. I get into my certain place and I say, this is it, God. Right? You ever get bored with your life? It's inexcusable, really, in the kingdom of God for us to be bored in our life. But sometimes we just want but sometimes we like it that way. We just like to punch the clock, go in, come out, go out, eat dinner, go to sleep, wake up, do the same thing over and over again for 40 years. Forty years you're going to punch the clock. 40 You're not going to step out and do something different. Thousands and thousands of days. I press on because there's no sweeter spot than the center of His will. Man, the difference between phoning it in and, and just Showing up and saying, Jesus, whatever you have for me is amazing. You step into that place and you and Jesus starts bringing people to you. The next thing you know, you're sitting next to somebody on the airplane that wants to hear about Jesus. Next thing you know, you're talking to people in, in the coffee shop who want to know about Jesus. And there's a hunger, a spiritual hunger. There are people who are hungry for Christ out there. But you have to be willing to step into it. Following Christ is our one true thing as believers. The one true thing. Pressing on isn't natural, it isn't easy, it isn't comfortable, and it isn't without conflict. Your mind will talk you into quitting. Your mind is not your friend. Your heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17. It will always talk you out of that. Press on. Press on from your past. Press on to your purpose, but press on from your past. God's intent is that you not be limited by what you have done or identified by what you were. I was sitting and talking with someone this week, had breakfast with them. They don't really know the Lord. And as I was talking with them, they said, I don't know why this person, they were telling me a story about a family member, why this person continues to do that. I said, well, it's easy. They, they, they think of themselves as what they were. They don't have a redeemed mind. So they are always identified by what they were if they were a barfly, they think of themselves as a barfly. If, if they were an addict, they think of themselves as an addict. If they were struggling in some area, they think of themselves always bound by that struggling thing. One of the most, look, I am totally for uh, uh, AA. Anything that gets people sober. But one of the most damaging things that happens at an AA meeting is you always stand up and identify yourself by your past. I'm Dave. I'm an alcoholic. I'm Dave. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be a drug addict. I used to live in that mess. But I'm free in Christ. Every once in a while I step back into that stuff. You know what? It reminds me of how free I am in Christ. Jesus came not to walk with me through trauma, but to walk with me all the way through the trauma and bring me out on the other side and change my life so I can reach back and grab someone else who's going through the same trauma and say, come on, I found the escape port. I found the door. I found the bread of life. I found something that will redeem your life. You don't have to stay in there. You don't have to come out, you know, you don't have to come out and 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 live that way that you once were. You have to, you have to bring people through, bring them out. God is good at doing that. That's what he desires. God's intent that we not be is, is that we not be limited or identified by our past. Paul's education made him a great teacher. Paul's genetic biography uh, helped him understand the fulfillment promises of of the Old Testament because he was Jewish. But it took commitment and zeal for Paul himself to be a follower of Jesus. Let's go back through that list again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Raise your hand if you've been beaten five times, 39 lashes. For your faith. I'm not talking about your mother disciplining you when you were young. No, none of us have. But most of us would say after the first beating, I'm not so sure about this Jesus thing. It says says something about the Apostle Paul that either he is really devoted to Christ or he's a special kind of stupid. To get five of those beatings. To endure the shipwreck to be lashed with rods, to be beaten over and over and over again for Christ and to still pop up after they nail him with stones and assume him dead, for him to pop up and talk Jesus. Come on now. That's that's some kind of thing that's going on there that's, that's divine. Have you ever thought about what it would take to make you quit? I mean to just give up on Jesus. What would it take for you for you to make you give up on Jesus? Oh, I would never give up. We were like, we're like Peter. I'll die with you, Lord. Right? We're ready, you know. No, no way, Lord. I'm with you all the way. Do you know this, Jesus? I don't know. What are you talking about? What would it take for you to surrender your faith in Jesus? I don't know, but I've seen people do it just because times got bad. I've seen people do it because times got good. Things were going so good they forgot about Jesus. It reminds me of that proverb, give me neither poverty nor riches, because both of them are a detriment to my soul. Some people do it when their prayers don't get immediately answered. Some people do it when they they get depressed. Some people do it when they're under duress at the threat of a knife or a bullet. Some, however, never, ever deny Christ, even when they're facing being burned to death for Jesus, or beheaded for Jesus, or being shot for being a follower of Christ. Some people say, I am a follower of Jesus to the very end. What would it take for you? God doesn't want you to analyze or obsess over your past. Forgiveness is full and free. Quit thinking about what you were. In fact, you don't have to even look back to see where you've been. You are not who you once were. Don't Live in the shadow of your failures, of your bad choices, of your mistakes. Jesus doesn't look pitifully upon us sinners. Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can be overcomers from what once held us back. We cannot settle for just the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Everybody loves the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Suffer the children to come unto me. We all like that Jesus. And Jesus is gentle, meek, and mild. But he's also returning on a white horse to judge the earth. He's also the victor over the world. He's also the one who they crucified, and he popped back up in three days, and he said, I'm victorious over the grave. Don't preach a truncated Jesus. Don't believe in half a gospel. One thing, one super important thing, Paul says, one thing I do. What was the name of that movie where the guy held up his finger, Curly held up his finger and he said, one thing, remember it? City Slickers, one thing. What's the one thing? The one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. In another place, Paul writes to the Corinthians again. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is is what some of you were. Were. What a powerful word. That is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Press on from your past. Press on to the future. God has a purpose for you, press on to the purpose. God has a future for you, press on to the future. We have a bad habit of saying, this is good enough. Now I attend church. I got a couple memory verses under my belt. You know, I help little old ladies across the street. I'm a good guy now. Now that's good enough. The Apostle says, press on. Press on to your reward. Press on to your reward. There is a mighty reward. When someone passes away in the church, we often bemoan our inability to connect with them again. You know, people die and then we we mourn. Our mourning, if you can endure with this with me a little bit, our mourning is kind of from a selfish sense. Yeah. I won't ever see my daddy again. I won't ever hear his voice. Who am I going to talk to when I need some counsel? Who am I going to cry out to? Well, who's going to wrap their arms around me and tell me I went through the same thing? Don't worry, God's going to get you through. Who's going to do that? We, and we moan that. And it's understandable. From that standpoint, it's understandable. But we need to really understand that those people have gone on to their reward. Right? That this is what we're working all this time for. God speaks a lot about rewards. I know you're too spiritual to even need a reward, but God speaks a lot about them. I know you say, I do it just because I love them, but God speaks a lot about rewards. Because God knows how you're really wired. God knows you don't show up to work if they say there's no more money to pay you. You don't say, well, I just love driving this truck so much that I'm just going to do it for freezies. No, that's not what you say. You say, well, I guess it's time for me to be hitting the road and looking for another job. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'm in it for the reward. I've got to be honest. The chances of me with this limited mental knowledge ever-achieving greatness on this earth are very slim. But I can achieve greatness in the kingdom of God by just being obedient to Him. And there's a reward for me. The Bible talks about, in the New Testament, about a lot of crowns. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, we read about the crown for spiritual training. Pastor Matthew talked a little bit about that last week. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the soul winner's crown. The crown that comes for those who win souls on this earth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8, there's a crown for those who love his appearing. A crown just for those who say, I can't wait, Lord, for you to come and rescue me out of this messy earth. If you love his appearing, there's a crown for you. There's a crown for those who persevere in James chapter one, verse twelve. There's a crown for those who give their life in martyrdom, according to Revelation chapter two, verse ten. A lot of crowns. Not a single crown for the quitter. No crowns for the quitters. It's kind of unfair. There for a while, back in the day, we used to have races at the, at the picnic, church picnic. We'd have races. Nobody got a prize. Everybody got chocolate pudding. When Pastor Matthew was a little boy, he used to get so mad. I just got chocolate pudding. There's no crowns for the quitter. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming. Isaiah 40 says, The sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Jesus says, when I return, my reward is with you. No more waiting for that reward. This is in line with our expectation. So, he says, press on and endure and strain forward. It was a time when my wife and I were having hard times in our marriage. And I remember saying to her, love shouldn't be this hard. You ever say that? You ever think it? Loving somebody shouldn't be this hard. I have three words for you if you've ever thought that. But it is. Why? Because I'm imperfect and I'm broken and I'm wounded and I'm trying to love you imperfectly and brokenly and woundedly. And quite frankly, you're broken and imperfect and wounded too. One time when we were first married, I'm going to tell this story. I hope it's okay. I got to get my first story. <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down? No. Uh, first married, and I know that I got all this anger in me. We just re- moved away, and it's the two of us living together, married, you know, living together. And, and uh, So then uh, I get in an argument, and I'm so mad, but I don't want to say anything that's going to break my bride's heart, you know. I also kind of don't want to reveal what kind of a jerk I really am. So I grab the vacuum cleaner, and I just start vacuuming the living, stuffing out of the floor in the living room. Now she would think, if I vacuum now, she would think, that the Lord had come and taken possession of my body. But I was just trying to take my energy and put it in some direction. And I am vacuuming like this. (laughs) And she is so ticked off that I am vacuuming. This is a newlywed argument, you know. And, And really, what it came down to is when I started vacuuming, I was trying to not, I was all out of my brokenness because I didn't know what to say and so I was just trying to control my anger and put it in some way that is positive. And she was thinking that I am somehow reflecting that she is not keeping the house up to, to whatever standard. Now she knows I have no standards, but at the time, <laughs> well, she thought I had some high standards and so she thought I was insulting her house cleaning and she's, the more I'm vacuuming, the madder she's getting. And the madder she gets, the more I'm thinking, I don't understand this woman. I can't... Loving shouldn't be this hard, but it is. It is. Living for Christ shouldn't be this hard. But it is. I talk to some people and they go, man, the Lord is just so good. He's just blessing me every minute of the day. And his presence, I feel I feel angels' wings while I'm eating breakfast in the morning. And I just want to scream out, you filthy liar! That is not faith! That is a delusion that you're living in. That wasn't angel's wings that brushed across your cheek at breakfast. It was a fly. <laughs> and the fly's in your kitchen because you got a hole in your screen. And the holes in your screen is because your husband won't fix the screen. The Apostle Paul does not play any of those games. You have to persevere. You have to endure. You have to strain forward. That doesn't feel like angel's wings. Straining forward is getting yourself in the the groove and start pushing with all your might. Strain forward. When those around you quit on you, press on. When you can't see the future, at least not in a positive light, press on. When you can't understand why people are rejecting you, press on. When darkness seems to rule the day, we press on. When sickness attacks our bodies, we press on. When all men forsake us, we press on. When the world is plunged into darkness and turmoil, we press on. When life is good, we press on. When life stinks, we press on. When all around is sinking sand, on Christ, the solid rock, we stand and we press on. We press on for the prize. We press on for the reward. We press on for the next level in spite of the next devil. We press on for the next person. We press on for the next wandering soul. We press on for the next life. We press on so that this old body will be torn away from us like an old battered overcoat and we will step into our glorious resurrection body and we will stand before him and we will hear him say we will hear him say come thou into the joy of your master. Well done good and faithful servant. That is why we press on. That is why we press on. Do you feel like giving up? Have you thought about chucking it all in? Have you thought about running away and joining the circus? Have you been listening to the whispers of the father of lies? As he tells you, you'll never make it. Let's not live in regret over decisions made under duress or in pain or in depression or in the hopelessness of heartache. God has made a way. Press on to the higher calling. God has made a way. Press on to that for which Christ took hold of you. Press on to the future that God has for you. It is brighter than your present. Press on to the next thing. Press on to the will of God. Press on till the day comes when He gathers us home. Press on, press on, press on. Let's pray.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you're blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag.org. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.